Thank you, Keith. And hello, everybody. How are you? Good. It's really strange for me to be here. It has been like a year and a half of me just, you know, standing in my living room preaching to my dogs. <laughs> so this is a little bit new, a little bit different, but it's great to be back. It's just a little weird to be up here. So, you know, a little different than being down there making a scene. I'm up here making a scene instead. That's, that's good. Um, but I wanted to, um, to honor the elders for trusting me to bring God, God's word today. Uh, and while I was working on this, we're working on James 2, and I looked ahead to James 3, and after looking at James 3, well, I really realized the, the, the importance of being up here. So I'm gonna, I want to show you that verse today. It says, um, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that you will be judged more strictly. And because of those words, I really feel like I need to pray before we get started. So let's do that. Father God, thank you uh, that I get to come back to church. Thank you that we're all here in person and here online. And, and Lord, I just pray that today you would help me to honor you, to glorify you, to bring your word faithfully, and that you would help each one of us here to understand your word, to have eyes to see and ears to hear, that it might affect and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're looking at uh, where Keith uh, left off last week, and that is James 2, 15 to 26. James 15, uh, I'm sorry, James 2, uh, 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. But would you like evidence, you empty fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that his faith was working together with his works, and his faith was perfected by works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Now Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And similarly, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works? when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So all of you in this room have always known me as a Christian. In fact, I've lived in Tennessee for a couple decades, and everyone in Tennessee has always known me as a Christian, but that hasn't always been the case. And that, here's the really weird thing. Growing up in Oregon, I believed in God but I wasn't a Christian. I had, well, there's this song that we sing. Uh, it's called, uh, We Believe by, who is it? The, um, who sings that song? The Newsboys? Yeah? Okay, we sing that really emphatically, that we believe. And that's something that I could have, I could have sung before I was a Christian. I believed in God the Father. I believed in Jesus Christ. I believed in the Holy Spirit and that he'd given us new life. I believed in the crucifixion. I believed that he what is it, conquered death. I believed in the resurrection and that he's coming back again. 
Before I was a Christian, I believed all that, but I also believed in my destruction. So I believed that I wasn't good enough for God, and so I just like, I lived like I was going to hell. I lived with belief without saving faith. So here's an illustration to help you with that. Uh, in Portugal, they have recently constructed the world's longest suspension bridge, and I think we have a picture of that, do we? There you go. This is the world's longest suspension bridge. It hangs probably, I think it's like 1,700 feet across this canyon. I know, she's, Adrian's shaking her head. <laughs> it hangs across this canyon, and it's like 500 feet up in the air. Now, if you don't know what a suspension bridge is, I mean, it's, you know, it's a bridge that just, well, they stick it onto one side of the cliff, supposedly, and they stick it to the other side, precariously, and then it just hangs, right? And on this one in particular, it's like... Um, metal grating, so when you walk across it, you see, you know, you see down to the depths below, and it's amazing, right? Okay, so, now, you might go to that bridge, and you might see that bridge, and you touch that bridge, and you believe in that bridge. You might even believe in the engineering theology of the bridge, right? You believe that a suspension bridge works. Okay, so, you might become a tour guide, and you say, well, I'm going to show people the bridge, I'm going to teach them about the bridge, I'm going to tell them how to cross that bridge. But you never set foot on the bridge because you don't really have faith. You just, you believe it, you've seen it, but you don't have faith. And you're never, you never really reveal your faith in the bridge until you do the work of overcoming your fear and you start walking across the bridge. That's because belief alone does not complete your faith. So getting back to our text, what do we learn about God and humanity in this passage? First, we learn that God defines belief, God defines faith as belief and action, not just belief. How many people in our country call themselves Christians like I did back in Oregon when I just believed, but they don't have complete faith? How many of us believe on Sunday and then we go out and we, the rest of the week nobody would know? by our actions. We don't even know by our actions. Unfortunately, many Christians believe, but they don't have complete faith. And that's what James is talking about here. So James tells us that there's a kind of faith that believes, but doesn't take action. And there's a kind of faith that believes and so takes action. So the, the truth distilled here is that belief is not enough. In verse 19 in our passage, that tells us even the demons believe. They believe and they tremble with fear. But they don't have faith. Demons don't work for God. They work for someone else. Okay, so going back to when I believed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I, I had all that belief, but I didn't understand what it meant to be saved. I didn't fully trust that God would save me. So I, because I didn't trust in that, I didn't have the faith to make it work out, to have any action. It, I think the key to it is that I didn't have a full concept of God's character, of who he is. I, if I just would have known his faithfulness, his goodness, his kindness, his power, his sovereignty, if I, if I just would have known his grace, then I know I would have had the power to move out and to do something about it, to, to live with the works that James is talking about. So the difference between demons and the old me, and, and a lot of Christians who believe but aren't living like Jesus, 
is that one group is actively working against God. Okay, that's the demons. And then one group is actively working for itself. They, they believe in God, but they're, they're thinking that they, they have to be their own salvation. They work at their own provision, their own protection, their own happiness. And sadly, they don't have complete faith. Okay, so that's what James is addressing in verse 14. When he says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can this kind of faith save him? Okay, so if you believe in the bridge, but you're too afraid or you're too lazy to go across the bridge, you don't have complete faith in the bridge. So maybe you're thinking, okay, so fine. So what does having faith look like for the Christ follower? Verses 15 to 17 answer that. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also, faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. James is telling us that if we see people in need and we know what people need, but instead of doing something about it, we just say, oh, I feel so bad for you. I hope that you find what you need. Our faith is dead because it lacks works. James is revealing our human nature here. He reveals that a lot of us can say, oh, I've got strong beliefs. Just don't act on them. I, I know right from wrong. I know good from bad. I was raised right. I have beliefs, and I think everyone should have my beliefs. But I, I don't have to change or do anything like that because, you see, it's, all, it's my beliefs. It's all in my head. It's all in my heart. I know what I believe. But just talking about your beliefs and believing them isn't the same as acting on them. Saying poverty and hunger are bad and should be helped, but only saying it and not helping it is a kind of faith that's incomplete. John Owen once said, a will of doing good without doing good is but pretend. So if you believe in Jesus and you don't live like Jesus worked, you're a pretend Christian. If you, if you can't put feet to your faith, you're pretending, you're playing dress up. You're just trying to impress the neighbors. It's fake news, people. Many of us believe that we can, have, we can have faith without it affecting our daily lives, without being compelled by it to, to change and to grow, to change our hearts, to change our actions, our thoughts, our feelings. I mean, we might post about it. We post about our faith. We put cute little pictures with verses. We tell everybody we're Christians. But are we putting our money where our mouths are? Are we looking into God's word and wanting to live it out? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we can easily identify suffering without doing anything about it. We just look at it and we refuse the responsibility to do anything. And I'm not just saying this out to everyone else who's missed the mark. I'm talking to myself. While I was working on this passage, I got onto Facebook and I was scrolling, looking all the posts, and I saw a post by uh, an old, my roommate, my former roommate when I lived in Oregon, who got married, and then they, her and her husband went to India 
on the mission field. And uh, she was posting about how it's just, it's such a tragedy right now in India. They need COVID relief. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a, a horrible situation. And so she was on there asking for support. Anything you could give, she said, to help uh, the, Indian, the Indian people. And I looked at it and I was like, I know. I mean, I, I have a heart for India. I've been on a mission trip to India. And I feel really just, oh, I feel awful when I see the images coming out of there. That's too bad. I really hope they get the help they need. Scrolled up. And then this, these words came to my mind, what James is saying. And I thought, what am I doing? What is my, I believe, but I'm not willing to take the action. And this isn't, I mean, this not, I, if I'm honest, that's not something new. It's easy to just kind of scroll on up. So I went back, pulled it back down, looked at it. And she even had a link to make it really easy to give. So I clicked on it. And then I thought, well, what if it's not the safe organization? I don't know. And I thought, would you just do it? And so I just clicked and I gave. But that's not the norm. You know, many times we just scroll on by, we just walk on by, and we just forget about them. Why? Well, it's because we want to be comfortable. Humanity wants to be comfortable. That's what James is getting at in this passage. It's too uncomfortable to give up your money to the guy who's begging you for food and clothing. It's uncomfortable to take time to find out what families in your church need. It takes precious time to visit prisoners in jail or to defend the oppressed. It takes energy to foster children who don't have a family. It's inconvenient to help a stranger. And it takes self-denial to live selflessly and faithfully. It just seems like it takes something away from you when you put faith into action. So a lot of times we just turn away and then we pray somebody else will do it. We think good thoughts about those in need, but we never take the time to actually do something about it because it's too uncomfortable. Last week, Keith talked about prejudice and that has to do with comfort as well. Uh, we, we're more comfortable with certain people that are like us or certain people that we want to be like, so we kind of just stay where we're comfortable. And then we judge those who are different. But this comfort keeps us from working out our faith. Well, I know there's some of you that are going, Amen! Preach it! Preach it, sister! I'm a worker. Be a worker. I'm a doer. Be a doer. I'm out there getting things done. We need more people like me. Well, here's my little message for you. <laughs> People who feel the compulsion to work many times aren't working in their strength of their faith in Jesus, but they're working to replace the work of Jesus. They're either natural workers, they're, natural, they're doing it because that's what they do, or they're trying not to be a burden to someone else, even Jesus. For many, the statement, I'm a servant of God, I'm a worker for the Lord, carries the same amount of weight as Jesus died for me. That's because we believe we have to work in order to be accepted. In fact, I think sometimes we work so hard so that we don't have to have faith because that's too hard. Just like a lot of times, if we have something that needs to be done and it's just easier to do it yourself, you know, if you do it yourself, you know, at least it'll be done right. You know what I'm saying? I might be talking about you if you've ever said, I'll just get it done myself. Or, 
we need a plan before we do anything. Or how about this one? Where's my to-do list? We should be sticking to that. <laughs> As workers, we sometimes get so caught up in our work that we neglect the, that we neglect faith as if work's enough. And James, James quotes someone who thinks like that in verse 18 when he says, someone will say, you have faith, I have works. See, you have the faith, I get the works. They're, they're both good, so why are you on my back? I'm too busy to pray. It has to be done today. I can't wait for God's timing. And just like the person who's too uncomfortable to do something for someone in need, we're too uncomfortable with the idea of not doing something. Have you ever said, I can't have faith like you have. I might not, I'm just, I'm not gifted that way. I'm really gifted at works. That's what I do. Or maybe on the flip side of the coin, the giant coin, apparently, uh, <laughs> uh, you might say, well, I'm an introvert. I can pray. I can send money. I can study. But I'm not good with people. We can, bit, we can get pretty good at... Um, at giving ourselves excuses for not living with both belief and works. Just like belief alone doesn't equal complete faith, action alone does not equal complete faith. God defines faith as belief and action. But James points out that, um, that we humans need evidence, don't we? We need, we need proof. We need to see this stuff really works. So, we know that humanity needs faithful examples to follow. And knowing that about humanity, James, as the transcriber for the Holy Spirit, shows us some examples. He's very helpful and shows us some examples of faith. In verses 21 to 22, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Abraham's faith was hearing the command of God that most fathers, and probably every mother in this room, would be like, nope, I'm not doing. His faith was hearing that and then walking out of the camp with his son and walking up the hill. That was his faith. And then his works was taking the knife out and holding it up over his son. But God, seeing his faith through his works, was gracious enough to provide a substitute for that sacrifice, just like he has for us in his son. I know of a mother whose, whose child died and she, was, she hated God. She just despised him for that. But unlike a parent who idolizes their child, Abraham was willing to say, God, you come before everyone. You come before my child. I trust you with whatever you're going to do with him. That's what's the most important to me. And I'm able to do the hard things because of that faith in you. James gives us godly examples of people who were justified by faith and works. In verse 24, he says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Rahab is another good example that he gives. So the Israelites have come out of the desert. They're now under the, the leadership of Joshua and they've gotten to the promised land. They're at the Jordan River, and they're ready to cross into Canaan. And right in front of them is the, the, the big walled city of Jericho. And that's going to be, well, how are they going to get through that? So Joshua sends in his spies to check it out. 
And while they're in there, apparently the, the people of the, the town are alerted that they're there, so they hide in Rahab's house. Now, Rahab is not an Israelite, but she believes in God. And that's her belief. Now, she can sh show her works by either saying, when the police come to her door, saying, oh, here they are, and where's my reward? Or she can say, oh, oh, yeah, they left like 15 minutes ago, and went that way. And that is what she did. That, were, that was her works of her faith. We have, we have more modern examples of that, too. Um, Hudson Taylor, uh, he was a missionary who created the Inland China Mission. His faith was incredible. I don't know if you know the story of Hudson, but he never asked anyone for money or for workers to come and join him. In fact, if you came out to be part of his mission team, you had to sign a contract that said you will never ask another human for support. You'll only ask God. Their, their trust just had to be that God was their provider. He was fond of saying, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. He was also a man of incredible works, though, because when he got to China, he could have just stayed on the on the coast where the big cities were, where many missionaries landed and stayed because they could wear their European clothes and they could kind of just fit in and well, they didn't ruffle any feathers. But Hudson decided to go inland into the rural areas. And his works were that he took on their culture. He started to dress in traditional Chinese garb. He kind of shaved his head and had that ponytail in the back. His, his faith produced the work, the hard work, of reaching the people in inland China. Uh, but he, he was, I think he had a good balance in understanding this idea of belief and works when he said, do not work so hard for Christ that you have no strength to pray. For prayer requires strength. There, there's a lot more examples of um, faithful people that you, we could list. But, but what if you don't know where to look? What if you're thinking, where do I, where's, where's a quick way that I can look at faith and works? I think you look no further than the work of love. Jesus said that they'll know we're his disciples by our love. And he was, when he was asked, what's the single most important commandment? He said, love. Love is really the foundation of all our works. Love is meant to be the foundation. And Tim Keller put it this way, we shouldn't love people in order to share our faith with them. Rather, we share our faith and ourselves with them in order to love them. So, we, as we read the text, we encounter God and humanity and see what God's trying to tell us about himself and who he is and who we are. The next step is that we examine our hearts and see what God is trying to tell each of us through his Holy Spirit. So, to help you do that, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, just three, really quick. Do you believe the sinner's prayer was the finish line for you? Or was it the starting line? Because for a lot of us, if we just believe, we think, well, that was the, that was the, that was the finished work. I'm done. But when Addie and I were in Oregon, um, we did a lot of shopping. They don't have sales tax there. <laughs> and so we did a lot of shopping, but you can't try on clothes. So we'd buy them, and then we'd take them home with the belief that they would fit. But what if we brought them home, and then we never got them out of the bag, we never tried them on, and never wore them? The belief wouldn't do, wouldn't, wouldn't do us much good, <laughs> but that bringing them home is our belief, and then that's just the start. But what we have to do is put on the character of Christ 
and not leave it hanging in the closet like it's just our Sunday best. But, you know, put it on like it's our yoga pants. You're going to wear them every day. <laughs> so if that rings a bell for you, then don't worry, you can take action. And this next question I think might help you. Are there things the Holy Spirit has been compelling you to do but that you haven't acted on? There are actual things we have to do in the Christian faith. And the Holy Spirit is fond of pushing you towards that. But if, if what you feel he's pushing you to is just getting here on Sunday, and then that's it, then you're not living with a complete faith. You're rejecting the Holy, call, it's the, the Holy Spirit's call, probably because of this discomfort. So my question for you is, are you prepared to be uncomfortable for Christ? Picking up your cross is never comfortable. And it's not just a one-day-a-week thing. It's a daily, daily process. And thirdly, do you have an example of faith in your life? And are you a faithful example to others? Because you need both. You need to have an example of someone who's faithful and then be an example to someone else. Charles Spurgeon said that the main sermon of your life is illustrated by your conduct. So my final question for you is, how's your sermon going? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you gently and kindly reveal yourself to us and ourselves to us, and that you do not reject us once we fail. That though we've scrolled past, though we've walked away from, and though we've forgotten others, you still take us back and say, let's try it again. Let's do this. Father, I pray that each of us as we leave today will hear your Holy Spirit, will recognize those opportunities you give us for works, and we won't turn away. We won't say, that's too uncomfortable, I don't want that. But we'll embrace the call of your Spirit on our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your power, and thank you for your presence. We love you with everything that we have to give. In Jesus' name. Amen.